Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Kimberly Wheel, or Well, Wahele, Wahele. Well, how would you pronounce W-E-H-L-E? W-E-H-L-E. Wheelie? Well. Well, eh? Ooh, or maybe the W is like a V sound. So Kimberly Veal. Whatever. We're going to call her Kimberly. She's a professor at the University of Baltimore School of Law and the author of How to Read the Constitution and Why. Her forthcoming book is called How the Pardon Power Works and Why. I'm sensing a a theme in her book titles. (laughs) How to something and why. Anyway, she says there's a lot of attention being paid to the Supreme Court's upcoming decision on Donald Trump's claim of immunity from prosecution for actions taken while president. A judgment that will have big implications for the 2024 presidential campaign and the special counsel Jack Smith's indictment of the former president on charges related to January 6th. But there's a sleeping giant of a case also percolating in the Supreme Court that's even more likely than the immunity issue to impact Jack Smith's prosecution of Donald Trump. The case is Joseph W. Fisher versus United States, which the court agreed to hear back in December and which does not explicitly mention Trump at all. At issue is whether prosecutors and the Department of Justice have been improperly using a 2002 law that was originally aimed at curbing financial crimes, that they've been improperly using this law to prosecute a January 6th defendant named Joseph Fisher. And if the court sides with Fisher, it would also call into question the use of the law against other J6 defendants, including Donald Trump. Because Jack Smith's indictment, his uh, Smith's indictment, contains four counts total. Two of those are for obstruction of an official proceeding, and for a conspiracy to do so. Those crimes are part of a relatively recent criminal statute governing financial disclosures, known as SOX or Sarbanes-Oxley. You've heard that before, right? That was enacted following the Enron corporate accounting scandal and it makes it a crime to obstruct official proceedings of the u.s government did you realize that's what he's being charged under it's ridiculous right the justice department has so far used it to charge more than 300 people involved in the j6 insurrection this is written by politico or sorry it's written at politico by this kimberly well kimberly well Anyway, um, where was they? Oh, they've used it to prosecute or to charge 300 people. More than 150 have already been convicted of that offense following jury trials, or they pleaded guilty to it. 
Many of these defendants, including Joseph Fisher, have argued that the obstruction of an official proceeding part of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, the Sox Act, was only meant to apply narrowly to financial crimes, similar to the ones that produced the law in the first place. Because, of course, that would be logical, right? Enron happens. Oh, my gosh, we can't have that happen anymore. Let's pass a law, pass a law, do something. So they pass the law, they do something, and then all of a sudden, they use that law to apply to a completely unrelated type of crime or event, an incident. Like, what can we charge this guy with? I call it the spaghetti approach or pasta approach if you want to be more inclusive. You you throw it up against the wall and see what sticks. The prosecutors do this kind of thing all the time. They, they, uh, they pile on all the charges. More charges on the front end means that you're looking at the rest of your life in prison. And so you're like, okay, fine, I'll agree to you know something that just gives me three months. Then they don't have to go through the process of a trial. You don't have to worry about going to prison for the rest of your life. But you still have to pay your lawyer and you have to do the three months and it's on your record. Price of you know doing business in America, I guess. And by doing business, I mean, you know, just living. So this is what this Fisher versus United States case is about. The Justice Department has has been using it too broadly. Courts across the country have already been wrestling with the question of whether the Sarbanes-Oxley Act's obstruction provisions apply to the various means by which people tried to halt Congress's examination and ratification of the presidential election results favoring Joe Biden. As of this month, at least 14 judges in 22 cases have backed the DOJ's interpretation, 14 out of 22. But some have expressed doubts after the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to hear Fisher's case. In at least two of the J6 cases, trial judges have delayed the sentencing, waiting on the U.S. Supreme Court to make a ruling. Which means what? It means that the underlying Sarbanes-Oxley Act charges may be vulnerable. So the impact of the Fisher case on the J6 trial against Trump may not be known until after the Supreme Court wraps up its term in June. At which point it could knock out half of Smith's counts against Trump. And it could also disrupt the convictions of many J6 defendants already serving time for their role in the insurrection. Let me see here. Uh, Here's the language. Whoever corruptly obstructs, influences, or impedes any official proceeding or attempts to do so shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. See, it does not clearly specify that only certain kinds of obstruction qualify. Um, Then Representative Jim Sensenbrenner um, saying that it strengthens laws that criminalize document shredding and other forms of obstruction of justice. That's what Sensenbrenner said at the time. Strengthens laws that criminalize document shredding and other forms of obstruction of justice. That doesn't seem to me to apply to what happened on J6. Immediately preceding the language that I just gave you, though, right before that, it specifies that whoever, quote, corruptly alters, destroys, 
mutilates or conceals a record, document, or other object with the intent to impair the object's integrity or availability for use in an official proceeding. To me, that seems pretty clear. The law is talking about documents, right, objects, uh, you know, records, that kind of thing. And so the, the argument that's being made by this J6 defendant, Joseph Fisher, is that the two provisions have to be read together. You can't just look at the second part and ignore the first part, because the second part, in context, is referring back to the first part. So under this reading, Jack Smith would be required to prove that the defendants corruptly altered a record as a threshold matter before they could be charged with obstructing a congressional proceeding, right? Where are the documents that they shredded? Where are the records that they somehow uh, abused? Where are they? There aren't any. They didn't. So you would have to ditch those charges. And that has an impact on Trump's case. So we'll see. Like I said, this is coming up in a couple months when the uh, Supreme Court hears the case in June. Um, also, did you know that the uh, the State of the Union address is coming up? Oh, I know everybody's so excited about it. <laughs> All right. I have a, there's a piece at Axios about it. A couple more emails. John, oh, on the question of uh, Make America Great Again, the slogan. Uh, John says, they say there are no new ideas. Make America Great Again was Reagan's slogan. I believe it was probably used even before then. I would not doubt it. Um, Ben, another email from Ben. I promise this is my last email of the day. Okay. Um, But Nikki Haley is playing poker, and her hand is that Trump is going to be convicted of something and ineligible to be president. I don't know if he's actually going to be ineligible, ineligible to be president. Anybody that know anyone that tells you they know how this is going to shake out from a legal standpoint, right? From a from an election standpoint, there nobody knows. No one knows how this is going to shake out. There are too many variables right now. You got too many cases, too much corruption in the cases with the people involved, right? You've got two geriatrics that are running. Anything could happen with their health, right? Party bosses step in. What, what, nobody knows from on both sides here. Like, this is all an open question. And so maybe that's what Haley is doing. But here's the kicker. The GOP would be the one to pick the replacement, not whoever's got the most electors. Like, Nikki Haley staying in the race, and let's say Trump gets convicted before the election, before even the convention, that convention can pick anybody. It can pick someone that wasn't even running. So, yeah, that would be crazy. An open convention. We could see it on both sides. Imagine that. We go from, like, this sort of coronation process on both for both of the parties, and then we end up going to the conventions in the summer, and they're both open, and, and, and it's now just an open nomination fest. I mean, that could be, gosh, what a mess. Um but also kind of exciting. By staying in and getting most of the delegates besides Trump, she'll be the next one in line to go. It does, but it doesn't work like that. Um, right. It, yeah, it does. It, it's not the, the number of delegates you accumulate. Now, you can make an argument that, look, I stayed in, so I got, you know, seven delegates, so I should stay. No, 
Um, but it, that's not how it's awarded. You can make that case, but that's that the the uh, the electors, or sorry, the delegates. They can make whatever calls they want to make on that. Um, let me get to this. Biden officials are looking at the State of the Union address as uh, as a big public reset moment. That's what they're calling it, a reset moment, a chance to overcome or at least neutralize concerns about President Biden's age and vitality. Okay, because apparently next month, Biden is going to be younger than he is now, as I understand it. That's how they're going. That's that's what they're banking on. That the the issues he is dealing with now will not be evident then in a month because he'll be younger. Or maybe I don't know. Maybe they're getting that reset button that Hillary gave the Russians, right? Or maybe she can get us another one. Maybe she can get another reset button and give it to Biden. Then you hit that thing and then there you go. Now he's, you know, mentally all there. All right. This is Axios piece by Mike Allen and Alex Thompson and people inside the Democrat Party. uh, They're they're working on a plan B, folks. They're working on a plan B. It's a P tweet. Dave says, I care more about local and state elections than the bloviating national elections. Will I vote national? Yes. But as I said, local and state are more important. Um, by the way, going to tap out the last half hour to watch the Tucker Glenn Beck interview. Catch up later. Okay, well, that's that's fine. I'm not at all offended by that. No, that's fine. <laughs> Thanks for the heads up, though. So now let's talk about Dave, everybody. Man, that guy, Dave. I don't know, actually. He's just a... (laughs) Uh, Russ says, I don't mind the term elite. I think it really captures how they perceive themselves and treat anyone outside the group. It's just a naked emperor thing. Let them have it while we laugh. Now, I like the term elitist. Maybe we should just say that, the elitists. Instead of the elites, we call them the elitists. Maybe we do that. All right. So uh, Hillary Clinton, I think, is shipping a reset button to Joe Biden um, ahead of the State of the Union speech next month because they are uh, going to try to reset to overcome or at least neutralize concerns about Biden's age and vitality. Okay, once again, the concern is not about his age. If he was 81... And of sound mind, not falling upstairs and such, then I think people would be okay with him. It wouldn't matter if he made some jokes about his age. Nobody would care because he's obviously in good health for his age. It's not the age. If somebody half his age were exhibiting these types of uh, behaviors, people would have the same concerns. It's about a decline in mental faculties. It's not about the age. Axios.com. Many top Democrats are convinced that if the election were held today, Biden would lose a rematch with former President Trump. Biden's address on March 7th is his biggest chance to shift public perceptions. Biden's SOTU, or State of the Union, the SOTU, his SOTU address 
played well last year. He seemed agile and riffed about the GOP and Social Security. Officials close to him, needing a repeat triumph, will spend hours on everything from the text to his physical preparation to exploit the primetime moment. One bold move that Biden has considered, we are told, is an executive order, get this, that would dramatically limit the record flow of migrants into the Southwest. This is one of the things they're considering ahead of the State of the Union. This could even happen in the two weeks before the address, allowing Biden to say that he took action while Republicans just talk. Which is weird because they've been telling us that they can't take any actions. So he's going to get up there and he's going to what? He's going to do something and then he's going to get up there and say, I did something when they didn't do anything, even though I told you I couldn't do anything, which is why I was trying to make them do something, which they didn't do. So I did something, which I said I couldn't. So I think that makes perfect sense. A new window into the Biden campaign's flux. That's F-L-U-X. Comes from CNN, which reports that some leading Democrats fear the campaign, quote, might be stumbling like Joe Biden past a point of no return. Okay, I threw that part about Joe Biden. I threw that one. But they're worried that the campaign is stumbling past the point of no return. They've been heartened by listening sessions (laughs) by Vice President Kamala Harris. (laughs) This is like, oh, oh, she's doing these listening sessions, which they view as a surprising and welcome change after months of feeling sloughed off by the White House and Biden campaign headquarters. The outreach sessions included six Democrat governors who gathered around the dining room table of Harris's official residence two Saturdays ago. She's using the intelligence from the sessions to break through what she has called the bubble of Biden campaign thinking and to, quote, push for changes in strategy and tactics that she hopes will put the ticket in better shape to win. Another one of her sessions, her listening sessions, featured black men a group Harris is working to energize. So she invited a couple black guys to dinner. <laughs> and this is, this is going to translate, you see, to winning the black male vote. The Sorry, black men voters. Don't mean to make it sound like black male, like a crime or anything. Anyway, the former comms director for Kamala Harris and Speaker Pelosi, told Axios that the sessions are, quote, finally starting to play to her strength. Did you know she had one of those? Apparently she does. She has a strength. Eating dinner alone with some people. That's been her strength. That's been her superpower this whole time. Who knew? I mean, I did not know that, but I've never been invited to the dinner, so that would make sense. Biden's ownership of the national spotlight will be brief just five days after his speech. House Republicans are going to hold a hearing with the special counsel Robert Herr, whose report cleared the president of mishandling classified documents but called him a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Right, So Biden has got to get up there. He's got to deliver a speech where he is not seen or perceived to be mentally unfit. Right, His, his voice has to be strong. And, the, and these things last like over an hour usually. 
right? You're standing up there, you're reading, you're talking, you're turning the page on that book. I mean, this is exhausting stuff. So he's got to be up there. He's got to show that he's you know mentally well. He's got to first walk up there. Remember that, too. He's got to walk all the way down. He's got to shake all the hands, not get COVID on the way. And uh, then he's got to get up there. He's got to deliver this thing in his voice. He can't be like, <laughs> can't do that. It's got to be strong voice, strong, non-81-year-old voice, you know, or, or, or yeah, younger voice, strong, like 75-year-old voice. Do it like that, like you're 75. Um, then after it's over, he's got to walk all the way back out. And that first part is walking down those steps. Right. So, so I, I don't know. Like maybe they're going to send him to the trainer that Ruth Bader Ginsburg used. Right. Because she was working. Remember all the stories we saw about how she was working out in the gym like every single day. And Jimmy Fallon couldn't even keep up with her because she was like this dynamo, you know, like bodybuilder, the notorious RBG. Maybe get that trainer working with Joe. Oh, do you? I wonder if after he's done with the State of the Union, does he look around? Does he do the look around thing like he does after his speeches? And he's up on a stage someplace and he's looking on the floor for the arrows that are painted, you know, like which way do I go? Like John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, you know? Democrats recognize that Trump and Republicans don't fear Biden and don't fear his campaign. Biden insiders know that needs to change fast. That's Axios. And then there is the uh, statistics guy, the data guy, Nate Silver. And he's got a big write-up at his Substack. It's time for the White House to put up or shut up. And he says if you had asked him a year ago, he would have told you Joe Biden was a reasonably clear favorite in the rematch against Trump. Not an overwhelming favorite, but maybe 65-35 favorite. Not, that's not a spread Two, but like a two-to-one, like if you're betting, the odds. The case for Biden seemed obvious enough. Incumbents usually win re-election, and Biden beat Trump before. Uh, the economy is beginning to recover, and the labor market's stronger. Uh, Trump uh, had, to fade, uh, uh, had to fade a number of downside risks, being subject to a series of trials uh, and what looked like it could be a competitive Republican primary. Okay, So the, the, that didn't happen. Democrats are coming off. A relatively strong midterm. They were bullied by voter concerns about extreme and underqualified Republican candidates. You had the Supreme Court Roe v. Wade decision, right? So he says, I don't begrudge people who who took their time to realize that Biden's reelection would be a heavy lift. But it is, he says. It is. And his campaign is substantially encumbered by his age. And he's probably the underdog. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. So what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even because being prepared is just smart carolina readiness supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency in waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com veteran owned carolina 
a readiness supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Um, this is from Nate Silver, natesilver.net, writing, this is his uh, Substack, And he was the guy, I think Nate Silver was the original guy who did 538. They got some other guy in there now that does 538, also named Nate, I want to say, but I digress. He's talking about the Biden campaign and how uh, he's saying it's time now for the White House to put up or shut up. And uh He says all the signs are that the Biden campaign is substantially encumbered by his age. What's gotten worse? Well, there are three basic categories of problems. Number one, he says, president's approval rating does have some meaningful predictive power at this stage as compared to, say, a year ago. Right. This is as you get closer to elections. Um these approval ratings start to matter more a year, two years out, not so much. So now they're starting to matter more. And when you look at the approval numbers, no bueno, but El Presidente is not good for the president. Second, to borrow the poker term, Joe Biden no longer has as many outs, meaning contingencies that could improve his situation. In the Republican nomination process, Donald Trump is probably going to win all 50 states. He hasn't really gotten bruised up or exposed new fissures within the GOP base. His various criminal trials are perhaps predictably facing delays. And the Georgia one is a mess because of the uh, improper romantic relationships between Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade. And yes... He says Democrats still have some upside if Trump is eventually convicted of something, but so far Trump's favorability ratings have only improved. And then there's the economy. Biden's standing has not improved. And that implies that Joe Biden's poor position is not the result of something fixable like the economy, but rather something that very much is not. The fact that he's 81 And getting older every day. Okay, so this was all under the category of Biden not having as many outs anymore. That was the second uh, sort of clump of problems. The third, it's become even clearer that Biden's age is an enormous problem for him. Once again, I would point out it's not his age, it's his mental acuity. As many as 86% of Americans say he is too old, according to one poll, but the numbers are somewhere usually in the 70 to 75% range. That's usually the, the, that's usually the most common thing. That is an overwhelming majority, right? 70 to, seven, 70 to 75% of people are saying he's too old, but they're not saying he's too old. They're saying that he's not of a sound mind. A special counsel report characterized Biden as a, quote, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Right? And in response to that, what did we see? He goes and he holds an impromptu press conference in which he defends himself against allegations of memory loss by appearing confused and messing up the names of the leaders of Egypt and Mexico. And then he started, like, getting defiant with the reporters and, you know, It did not come across well. Now, maybe you thought he did, but a lot of people would not agree with that assessment. 
Biden also declined to do a Super Bowl interview. And that could have helped to allay some public concerns, right? I mean, Obama did the Super Bowl interview every year he was in office, all eight years. Trump did it three times. Joe Biden himself did it in 2021. But the White House skipped the interview this year when the Super Bowl or last year, I should say, when it was carried by Fox News or by Fox. And so they were like, we don't want to be part of Fox because, you know, screw Fox News. We hate those guys. Peter Ducey, meh. And so they didn't do the interview when the Super Bowl was on Fox. But now it was on CBS. So why why not do the sit down with CBS or as I like to call it, CBS? Personally, Nate says, I crossed the Rubicon in November, concluding that Joe Biden should stand down if he wasn't going to be able to run a normal reelection campaign, meaning things like conduct a Super Bowl interview. Yes, it's a huge risk. And yes, Biden can still win, but he's losing now. And there's no plan to fix the problems other than hoping that the polls are wrong or that voters look at the race differently when they have more time to focus on it. Do you think that's going to happen? Do you think the voters, once they get the opportunity to focus more attention on the race, do you think they're going to say, oh, no, he's, oh, yeah, he's mentally fine. Oh, yeah. Even the more optimistic Democrats are really arguing that Democrats could win despite Biden, not because of him, right? The fact that Trump also has a number of disqualifying features is not a good reason to nominate Biden. It is a reason for Democrats to be the adults in the room and acknowledge that somebody who can't sit through a Super Bowl interview is not someone the public can trust to have the physical and mental stamina to handle an international crisis. He says, the only real option is for Biden to step aside. Will he do it? I doubt it. Oh, I doubt it. But it is a possibility. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.